everybody, and welcome to Real Talk with Rachel. I'm Rachel Buzzard, your host, and today I'm actually going to be by myself. I'm doing solo today. I wanted to have an, like, a more serious episode about my mental health. Um, I'm really open about my mental health now. At first, I wasn't. Um, I felt like I was alone, but... I just want to send a message out to anybody that might be having any sort of mental health issues that you are not alone. And I want to share my journey about my mental health because it's quite, not an extravagant journey, but um, definitely a different one. Just because um, I have a different disorder that some of you may have not noticed or some of you may actually know. Um, so let's just hop to it. I'm actually, you'll probably hear me clicking in the background, but I have a blog. Uh, it's called How Mental Illness Affects Me and You. And it's a blog about my personal struggles, stories, and poems in regards to mental health. So when I first started this blog, I think about, oh gosh, three, two years ago, I wanted to, A, post, like, my personal story so people know where I'm coming from, and B, post different illness disorders so that people can understand them more. Like, I did schizophrenia, eating disorders, anxiety, bipolar, depression, um, all of those, just, like, a general information one. But recently, probably this past year, I've been posting more original stories and poems that I've made because using these poems and stories that I create, it's a coping mechanism for me. And I only create p poems and short stories when I'm having a panic attack or I'm feeling really depressed or basically like when I'm strongly overcome by my emotions is when I write. And um, some of these are actually pretty powerful, and I, I'm honestly shocked by what I created. I will share the link to my blog in the description of the episode so that you guys can access it and view it or whatever you want. But Or if already, if you're on WordPress, um, you can find my blog because it's on the WordPress platform. Like I said, the title is How Mental Illness Affects Me and You. So to begin, I'm going to read what I call my story. So it is what it says. It's just my story. Um, so let's begin. So my unexpected journey with mental illness began when I was around six years old. I don't remember the day, but my parents do. My mom received a call from the school nurse saying, Mrs. Buzzard, Mrs. Buzzard, your daughter was in gym class when somebody threw a ball at her and all her eyelashes of her right eye fell out. My mom knew that wasn't true. The truth was, I picked out all my eyelashes the previous night, then told the school that somebody hit me in the face to make it seem like an accident. I don't remember picking my eyelashes too much when I was young. All I know is that I've been picking my eyelashes and eyebrows almost my entire life. My parents thought it was just a phase I was going through. It is known that children do tend to pick their eyelashes or eyebrows, but only for a short period of time. For me, it never went away. I'm not blaming my parents at all, because they didn't know any better at the point in time. 
They simply just wanted me to have my eyelashes and eyebrows again. They did all they could to try to get me to stop picking. They took me to the doctors, and they wanted to put me on medication. But my mom didn't want her six-year-old daughter on drugs, which is completely understandable. The doctors warned her that if I kept picking, my eyelashes could grow inverted and potentially scratch my eyeballs. My parents tried having me sleep with gloves on because they thought I would pick while I was asleep. Until now, they didn't know that I would just wait until they went to bed, take the gloves off, and pick. I distinctly remember my dad bribing me that if I stopped picking, he would give me $100 and a surprise. I would try with all my might to stop, but I just couldn't. The urge never went away. I tried giving up picking for Lent in hopes that I would stop and every time I would fail. At this point, I knew I looked different from all my friends, but no one seemed to notice at the time. During my younger years, no one really knew why I picked my eyelashes. Growing up with no eyebrows or eyelashes was tough, sometimes, but at first no one seemed to question it. I do recall a few times on the bus where some people would ask why I don't have any eyelashes. I would lie and say that my eyelashes were blonde and they were hard to see. Everyone bought this lie. I recall feeling scared and vulnerable once I asked this question. I didn't want to tell the truth because I thought no one would accept me or look at me different. Only my very close friends and family really knew why my eyelashes were absent. After many failed attempts of trying to prevent from my picking, my family resorted to calling me out when they caught me picking. They would just say, Rachel, or hey, stop picking. Little did they know, once they were not paying attention anymore, I'm right back at it. It seems like they didn't fully understand that it was a compulsion to pick. To me, it felt like OCD. I just couldn't stop picking until I got that specific eyelash I wanted out or until my eyelids fell quote-unquote smooth. It's sort of a euphoria feeling once I get that specific eyelash out that's been poking me or just felt like it shouldn't be there. I normally picked with my fingers. Around middle school, I would put my face close to the mirror in the bathroom and use tweezers to pick. That just made my picking worse, because with tweezers, I know exactly which eyelash I was pulling, and I can see the eyelash come out. I would find myself being in front of the mirror anywhere from 5 to 15 minutes just pulling my eyelashes. I would have days where I would, where pulling would not be as prevalent, and days where it felt like I would never stop. The days where I f- couldn't stop picking, I felt helpless and scared. No one understood that when I picked, it comforted me in a way, and it relaxed me. No one understands how the feeling of pulling an eyelash can be so euphoric. The feeling of the eyelash coming out is not the only part I like, but I also rub the eyelash on the skin right above my lip. I don't know the exact name of that part of the eyelash, but I'll just call it the root for now. The root is a gel-like... Uh, structure that surrounds the bulb of the eyelash. It has a smooth, slippery texture to it. You may think I sound a little crazy right now, but that's part of the reason why I do pick. I believe I was in ninth grade when I found out my condition was called. I received a text from my best friend. Rachel, I know what you have. It's called trichotillomania. First off, that's just a 
big word to say, and it took me a while to actually understand how to say it properly. Secondly, once she explained what the condition was, I started to cry. I was so over- I was overcome by so many emotions, feeling of happiness, closure, and the feeling of not being alone. Along with telling me what my condition is, she also told me about this girl on YouTube who makes videos describing what it is like to live with trichotillomania. I unfortunately forgot her name, but I finally felt like I wasn't alone anymore. That I wasn't the only one with this condition. There were others out there just like me. After I found out what my condition was called, I did as much, much research as I could to find out more information. Trichotillomania is a body-focused repeti- repetitive behavior as an impulse control disorder similar to OCD, which involves pulling out one's hair. The hair pulling can occur in any region of the body and is usually seen on the scalp, eyebrows, and eyelids. This condition occurs more in females than in males and is estimated that 1-2% of adults and adolescents suffer from trichotillomania. As of now, there is not a specific cause of trichotillomania. There is a theory, on a biological level, that there is a disruption in the system involving one of the chemical messengers between the nerve cells and parts of the brain. There may be other factors such as genetic predisposition and an aggravating stress or circumstance. There are typically two ways to treat trichotillomania. See, I still even have problems saying that word. Therapies such as cognitive behavioral therapy is most commonly practiced, and medications are also an alternative to help reduce symptoms. If you want to learn more about this disorder, um, there is a link within my blog. The link for to learn more about the disorder is www.mentalhealthamerica.net forward slash conditions forward slash trichotillomania dash hair dash pulling. That is also a really good website if you want to just know more about mental health as well. I'll additionally put this link in the description for this episode. So, I decided to go to my doctor to see if he could prescribe me medication to help with this or recommend a therapist. My doctor did both, He, but he told me he could only prescribe me medication one time, and if I wanted to continue to take medication, I would have to go to see a psychiatrist. Some of you may know, trying to find the right psychiatrist can be tough. Then, once you do find one, there's usually a really long waiting period. I believe I had to wait a total of three months to finally see my psychiatrist, which I think is absurd. On a side note, I think that this is one of the problems in American healthcare. Many people need help and seek it out, but there's such a long waiting period that some might think that it is not worth, worth it to wait and may never get the help they need. When someone makes the decision to go see therapist, they usually need to to see somebody within that week or two max. Some people cannot go three or more months to wait. After waiting for what seemed like forever, I finally went to the psychiatrist. I remember feeling very anxious and nervous while waiting my turn to see him. I was sitting in the waiting room, taking in my surroundings. Then I hear my name being called. I got up and followed the psychiatrist to his office. We both sat down, and he started to ask me the typical questions. Do you sleep well at night? 
Do you eat normally? Do you have thoughts of suicide? Do you have healthy relationships in others, with others? How often do you feel anxious, etc.? After answering all these questions, he then asked me a question that threw me off. He asked, Now, do you want to be treated by medication or therapy? The first thought that went to my head was, Aren't you the one that is supposed to answer that question? That's why I'm here to get your professional medical advice on what to do. It took me a few seconds to respond because I was shocked that he asked me that. Now I know that these professionals want to give me options and a choice, but I came to him because I didn't know what to do. I understand that if he gave me a recommendation of what to do, that would be fine. For example, if, he said, you can be treated by medication or therapy, but there has been a better outcome with those who go through therapy and or medication. If he has said that, then I would have felt better and more educated on what I should do. I was anxious and nervous in the first place, so when you ask a person with a big question on how they want to be treated, how do they know they're picking the best options for themselves? That is what the professional is for, to decide what option is best for their patient. I am not a druggie at all, but he wouldn't have known any better if I was going there and said that I had anxiety but just looking for drugs to take. If that was the case, I would have just been like, oh yeah, give me all the medication. But being myself, I'm in it for all the good reasons. So, I decided to be treated through medication and therapy. He gave me another dose of the medicine that my doctor prescribed me, but he warned me that it can be addictive. I was willing to take that chance because I know I'm responsible taking medication. The only positive experience I had in that appointment was the therapist he recommended to me. Um, the therapist he recommended specialized in cognitive behavioral therapy. I immediately called the office and they were able to get me in two weeks later. At that point, I knew I would enjoy going to therapy other than going to the psychiatrist. I did go to therapy with this therapist and we talked about a lot about my history and I eventually stopped going there because my schedule started to get busy once school started back up, and it was difficult to find time that would work for myself and the therapist. So even though I don't go anymore, I still think about the strategies he gave me and try to practice them to them every day. Making the choice to stop going to therapy wasn't an easy one. I was benefiting greatly from therapy and learning new ways to cope with my anxiety and picking disorder. Going every week or two helped me reset and focus again on my strategies. I have noticed a change in my picking habits and I was becoming more aware of my habit. At this moment, well, that's a lie. <laughs> um, currently, presently, I am still being treated by medication and I actually am going to another therapist. Um, therapy, this therapist, it isn't a cognitive behavioral therapist, but it's more of a mental health therapist. She has helped me through so much. Um, I've actually had two. My first one, she was amazing. Her and I connected very well, and she's helped me through so much, because in November 2018, 
I had my very first mental breakdown. And I mean like serious mental breakdown. And that's when I was, my family and I were like, okay, I need to go back to therapy because therapy was helping me. And my first therapist, she helped me through so much with school and stress because that was my number one stressor and trigger for anxiety was school. Um, I was going to school for physical therapy and for those of you who are in it or in any sort of medical field, you know how tough it is. So I, let's see, May 2019 was my second major breakdown and one that I thought I honestly needed to go to the hospital. It was such a big breakdown because I learned that I did not get accepted into grad school for physical therapy. Now, it hit me so hard because I thought that's what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and I had my heart set on physical therapy. So when they told me that, well, they didn't even tell me that I didn't get accepted. They just told me that they needed to have a talk with me. And I just immediately knew that my grades weren't good enough and that I didn't get in. So you can imagine how that feels when you have a life plan, but it doesn't go how you expect it to go. And she, I believe, yes, my first therapist was still there for that. And thank God I had my family as a support system. I can't thank them enough. I love them so much. And it's really important to have a support system, hopefully with your family or friends or your significant other or somebody to support you. That's It's really important. And then my first therapist, she actually left because she had another job lined up, um, which was something she wanted to do. Um, yes, I was upset, but she told me that I was going to be in good hands. So my second therapist... Um, her and I still connect really well too, and right now, both of them have helped me through so much that instead of going to therapy every week, I'm now going to therapy every four weeks. And I think that's a really major, major, um, what's the word I'm trying to think of? Improvement, yes. It's a major improvement from where I was first at. And during those times of school and stuff, I found out that creating short stories and poems through my emotions really helped me cope. So the first one, oh, I actually made this February 4th, 2018, was my first ever entry. It's called The Speeding Car. So I'll read this to you. It feels as if my mind is a car that can drive itself. All you do is sit back and watch the world go by as the car is speeding down the highway. Trapped inside a little compartment that nobody can hear you cry or scream. The car just keeps going faster and faster. You have no control over it. You try to find the brakes, but there are none. Speed, 100 miles an hour. You try to unlock the doors or roll down the window. Speed, 150 miles an hour. Panicked, you try to scream at the people you're passing, 
but everyone just sees a shiny new car speeding down. Speed, 138 miles per hour. You wonder how much faster this car can go until it reaches its max speed limit. Speed, 157 miles per hour. Then you find the button. It's red, with warnings all around telling you the dangers of this button. You don't care at this point since the car is rapidly speeding towards 200 miles per hour. You press it. The car immediately slows down to the normal speed of 65 miles per hour. A deep breath of relief is released. You have gained control of the car once more, driving until you hit another bump in the road. So this short story, The Speeding Car, I don't know if you can tell, but it's basically somebody that is about to have a panic attack where they feel like they can't talk to anybody because they just see you as normal. But inside, you're panicking, screaming, crying for help. And then the button is your medication. Now for me, I have Xanax. And I don't take, I don't take that regularly. I call that my emergency medicine just because it knocks me out cold. Um, it, if I take one full tab, it puts me to sleep. So like I said, that's like, that's my reset button. And that's what that button is on the speeding car is the Xanax. But like I said, there's so many dangers around it, but there's no relief until you press that button. And then the car slows down to its normal speed. So like I said, it's kind of like a reset. Um, a lot of my panic attacks, this is what goes on in my mind. Um, it, like I said, you just, you don't feel hopeless, but you feel like nobody can help you until you open up to people and until you express your emotions to others. This is what anxiety feels like to me, is the speeding car. Now, let's see. Ooh, I like this one. This was created on April 9th, 2018. It's called Curse. You keep intruding in my thoughts. I try to focus my mind off of you, but you are impossible to resist. You have me under a spell that can only affect me. The only way to break your curse is by completing your missions. They are dangerous and distracting. These missions feel like it takes me away from reality. Your missions can last minutes, hours, days, and even weeks. There are times where I can get back to reality and break your curse. But there you are again, putting thoughts into my head. I'm stuck on your never-ending staircase. Once I feel like I have reached the top, I discover there are more steps to climb. You're like a beautiful picture. So tempting, so inviting. But all you are filled with is broken promises. One day, I will wipe your temptation away from my mind completely. I long for that day to come. Until then, I will continue to fall into your broken pictures and be placed under your curse, struggling, trying to get out of your vicious cycle. So that one, the curse, that is basically like 
kind of getting into the mind of somebody with trichotillomania that like that temptation of pulling like pulling it can last minutes it can last hours and that temptation can last for a week days it doesn't matter how long it always changes so that's kind of what the curse is based off of now let's see if I can find another one Let's move on to poems. Okay. This one is called Roses. So, Roses is actually not my own personal story. It's somebody else's. I'm not going to say who. But um, I really connected with that person and understood where they were coming from some in some sort of way. Um, but I made this on February 19th, 2019. So this is called Roses. It's kind of a long one. Be careful, my heart. You might lead me to the dark. Up and down we go, round and round to the devil's hole. Sadness and grief you gave to me. You took my heart just like a thief. You never told me what you had in store. Now I'm struggling to find a shore. Sadness and darkness overcame while you sat and looked ashamed. You were too blind to realize what you left behind. A shimmery light, so bright, has now turned into a quiet night. I've been replaced as your saving grace. Now I sit and reminisce. A new flower blooms as the old wilts away. Don't forget about me while I decay. Carry on if you may. I'll just sit here and lay. And this patch, once filled with roses, now turned to thorns. Our th beautiful painting is shredded and torn. Two roses still remain, but one was left to rot and decay. All alone in this field, I see you in the distance. My petals fall down as she wears the crown. I wilt and wilt until there's nothing left but guilt. Your scent remains as I lay. My memories play back to our glory days. We rolled around and laughed till we fell down, but I hit hard as you stood guard. Here we are, broken and scarred. You left me for dead and found her instead. One time was all it took. You had me on your hook. I was your only one, but little did I know there was another one. You took your time with me, but didn't waste a second in her, I see. Just like you in between her knees. I sit and wallow in grief as you press in deep. Our bodies look the same, but my feelings still remain. You will never know what was on my mind as you said goodbye for the last time. You may see an old rose, but inside my heart still glows. Look away from the decay, but remember you made me this way. You think it's a cycle of life, but to me, you took away my light. Darkness overcomes, you see, and you wonder why it don't seem like me. My last goodbye, I will cry. To you, my love, I will die. I'll still be here, but I'll remember she is near. Go on and live your new happy life without me at your bedside. I must go, for she should not see what we had in these sheets. Goodbye, I cry. To you, my love, I shall die. So, that was a really strong, long poem. Um, I actually got a lot of responses on my blog from that. 
And like I said, it was just a friend's experience that I, for some reason, got really emotionally involved with. Um, but yeah, that's Roses. That's kind of one of my pride and joys. <laughs> so let's go to the Force. Ooh, yes. Now, backstory. I was, I don't know why. But I was driving home, and I literally had a panic attack while driving. I was bawling my eyes out. So, I immediately came, when I got home, I immediately wrote this poem. Like I said, it's called The Force. I made this on February 24th, 2019. Driving down the road, thinking to myself, where should I go? Thoughts and emotions roll over me like waves of the deep. Swallowing me whole. I cannot seem to find my shore. Something grabs my leg and pulls me down into a dark, deep place. I open my eyes to see no light, and I wonder if I should take flight. Floating here, my mind is clear, but something lurks in the dark, and it is near. An unstoppable force waiting to attack while my mind is simply relaxed. Your grip is strong, and I don't know if I can overcome. Choking me with tears, I see nothing but my fears. While your eyes glow red, you make me feel dead. Closer and closer I go, winding down this empty hole. You force my light away so darkness can stay. I cry to make you stop, but you do nothing and watch, drowning in this deep, dark place, wondering if anybody can see my face. I cry and cry to no avail. No one can drag me out of this hell. A little light shimmers from above. Could it be you, my love? This pit is deep, but you come after me. You save me from the deep as you whisper me to sleep. You drag me to the shores as the waves try to pull me in for more. The demons cry my name, but you do everything to keep me sane. So that is the force. And again, that's basically like my anxiety and depression just slowly taking control over my thoughts and my feelings and then my anybody my support system comes and helps me pulls me out of it let's see next one Ooh, this is a good one um this is actually most a really recent one so lately i've been having bits of insomnia um at this point it was like day three where i literally just could not sleep. I was awake all night, every night. Um, so this one was actually made April 6, 2020. So probably two, three weeks ago, depending on when I post this. Uh, so this is called insomnia. Lying here awake, my mind feels it is in a chase. Night turns to day, day turns to night. Here I lay with no sleep in sight. Will my body ever return back to normal? Or will I have to remain without the sleep chemical? Tired during the day, but awake at night. Seems like there will be no more sleep for me again tonight. So, I feel like that's something that most people can relate to. Um, whether you have insomnia or not, it's just something that's really relatable. Um, we all have times where we can't sleep at night but that's gonna be it for now 
I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to what I have to say. Um, again, mental health is really big. I would love to eventually, like, talk to people and have their opinions. Um, thank you again just for listening. Tell your friends, families, neighbors about this podcast. Really spread the word out there. We do have social media, Facebook, Snapchat, Twitter, um, Instagram. So, again, just thank you for listening. I really, really appreciate all the support. And I hope you have a great day. Stay healthy, stay safe, and don't spread that virus. All right. Bye, everybody.